This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dai Mays, who is the Global Head of Data and AI at WPP. So Dai, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Dai, where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves, I guess, a brief introduction into their background and journey to date, if you would, uh, if you'd be so kind. Of course. Um, so I'm WPP's first ever Global Head of Data and AI. Uh, proud to say I've been a uh, data nerdy since 2006. I was a digital nerdy before that. I wrote my dissertation on the internet in 1997. That's how old I am. I must be <laughs> about 105 by now is what I feel like. Uh, but I, I'm one of the privileged many, I guess, really, who started a data career at Dunhumby, um, which I think anyone in data either worked at Dunhumby at some point in their life or knows someone who did and always so proud of their culture, how people were so unembarrassed about their love of data. I loved how they worked with Tesco and the club card and they talked about loyalty and really defining loyalty and rewarding it. And after that, I moved to Boots, very different culture, but still a very data literate organization um, and then joined WPP in 2014. And I, I had a little a little break from being a full-time employee at WPP to be a data strategist because I just wasn't getting close enough to data work with clients, which really, really makes me tick looking at the different client problems and how much data they want to need and how the culture of data around different organizations on um, how they use it, how they access it, how they talk about it. So I'm delighted to have found my, my home here um, in, in WPP Center. Nice, nice. Um, Tell us a little bit about WPP then for anyone that's not overly familiar. So WPP is focused on creative transformation for clients. So it looks at brands, behavior, businesses. We have over 100,000 employees. We're very focused on creating better futures and not just for us and our clients, but we talk about communities and the planet as well. Pretty much in every market, you will know many of our agencies, Ogilvy, Wonderman, Thompson, and new data company, Choreograph. I think you've had our CEO, Satalia, on your, on your podcast, so the brilliant Daniel. Um, so really brilliant selection of agencies that I'm always really delighted to work with. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, give us a bit of a kind of steer on where your role sits then. It always fascinates me when you work for an organization so big, right, and you have a global role. Where, where do you sit within all of this? And I guess, what are you tasked with, with achieving? 
It's a really brilliant question because as the first one in this role, um, I was really worried that everyone would expect me to centralise everything. Let's get everybody's data together and let's get all the people together. And I thought, that is a massive machine. And, and we'll be in program direction hell for three years before we <laughs> deliver any value. And I thought, actually, that's not where technology is going. People are talking about data fabric, virtualization strategies, and our agencies know the clients best and the clients know the consumer best. So to take everyone away from that would be insane. So with that as a decision, I thought, how can we really add value? And we have three pillars in the team. And the first one is discovery and curation. What data do we have and what do we need? And we've partnered with data.world. We've got a data catalog there, over 400 data sets that everyone can access. And my dream is we, we buy well and we buy as much as we can centrally and then democratize it through virtualization to everybody because I want the agencies to be unleashed creatively with it. I, I love hearing stories about, oh, I blended BAV data with census data and this is what I created. And then somebody else created something totally different with the same data. And I never get bored of hearing those stories. So that's the first pillar. The second one is educate and enable. So I've inherited two KPIs to uh, deep skill 5,000 data practitioners and to upskill 50,000 colleagues. And we've done loads of really brilliant creative on this. One of those where we had to pivot all our plans because of lockdown and actually it enabled some creativity. So we've partnered with Synthesia. We've got AI basically training our people on AI. So 19 AI questions. Does WPP do AI? What is the role of AI in the CPG industry? Uh, How do you train an AI? So loads of different questions. And we have avatars answering them in English, Mandarin or Spanish. We've created a data fundamentals course with the Open Data Institute, very much a fan and a friend of the ODI. And one new partner we brought in who we've had loads of fun with is Territory Studios. And you should get them on if you haven't already. So they're a visual effects company. So they they work with films and make sure that the tech and data representation in, in blockbuster movies is authentic. So they, hmm. they've worked with us and we've created films around the Hollywood version of AI versus the reality and then the last one is content and communities and these three pillars so that's we've got chief data officer group that we call the sea dogs uh data and ai community and then we create thought leadership so we've done ethics guidelines and principles and we're just about to release data 2032 predicting what the dataverse might look like in 10 years time Nice. So much going on. And uh, you know what I love most about you is your absolute enthusiasm. You know, your <laughs> your face was just lighting up there as you was kind of talking through that. I just and, feel um, so honoured to have a job that I absolutely love, that I've been able to orientate around my passions. And I love that because people are coming with us and the team. We're a really small team, but I just we just get thanked all the time. And people going, I love what you're doing in the community. I'm going to be part of it. And and for me, it's it's just so liberating to to be able to work for a company that gives our data people such a stage. I love it. Yeah. It's interesting to me because obviously I see such a a breadth of different organizations and sectors and what they do with data. And uh, obviously you have some that are, you know, very traditional and just trying to get onto this journey. And then you have others like yours and your teams that are you know almost pushing the boundaries of 
what's possible and kind of taking things to the next step. So I'm looking forward to kind of delving into what this looks like over, you know, the next 10 years or so, which obviously you mentioned there about the, the Dataverse and, and 2032. Before we jump into that, obviously, I know that you were the Data IQ 2021 award winner, right, as the data champion. Obviously, we have a lot of Data IQ 100 folk on this podcast. And uh, whenever they're in there or they win an award, I always like to ask why they think that happened. So is there, have you got any thoughts on, on why you won that award? I think I bring a different narrative to to data because I'm not a data scientist. And sometimes Mr. Mays, who is a champion of mine, but is a bit embarrassed on my behalf that I've never got around <laughs> to learning how to code. But it's not my it's not my skill set. I'd rather talk to someone who loves coding and be a champion of them. So I think actually I just I just love data people. I love insights. I love the creative around. So I think me being so unembarrassed and having such little shame about my love of that, <laughs> I think I think brings a different narrative and energy um, and hopefully attention to the brilliant data talent that we have, not just at WPP, but in our clients and everywhere else too. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really important point, right? I think the, the industry in a whole is starting to certainly move in that direction, obviously, with the amount of time and money and investment that's gone into some of these projects where we've obsessed over the technology and the technicalities right and maybe they've not added as much value so now we're starting to focus on the things that often take these projects and programs and initiatives over the line to success right things around just enthusiasm and storytelling and communication and taking the business and the people on the journey and all of that type of good stuff so it doesn't surprise me to to hear you say that um so look, let, let's jump into it. What do you think are the biggest challenges within the data analytics industry as it stands right now? Because again, similar to me, you have a very um, holistic view of all different types of organizations, right? So my first one is I think data is still a bit shite and I think people <laughs> underestimate the impact of that. Um you know, if somebody once said to me, you could put a man in a rocket and send him to the moon and back before you could actually blend two data sets together. And that's literally true. So <laughs> data science is not rocket science. It's harder than rocket science. And I am constantly invited to we can talk about, oh, we're going to move this data or we're going to try. And it's like, that's so hard. And picking up other people's analytics or looking at other people's dashboards. Um, so I think I'd like to see less data that's cleaner, has a more focus on where the biases might be, but I'd really like to see data shedding uh, a bit more of actually let's just all accept we don't use 90% of the data we have, but rather than spending 60% of our time cleaning it, we have some small, perfectly formed, beautiful data. I'm a big fan of synthetic data, but I think being being much more focused. So I think, I think that's um, one of the, the challenges and interesting tensions that are going to happen over the next few years. And then um, I think skills are going to evolve. So I think people evolving their skills and making sure, I know we're probably going to talk about it later, aren't we? But I think um, making sure that people have time in their working day and their working life to learn and evolve and to challenge themselves to look at new ways as the tech and um, AI is evolving capabilities really quickly. I think we need to make sure we give people time and hopefully they that will sort out the shite data as well. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I think, look, you know, most organizations, and I say this probably too much on this podcast, to be honest with you, but, um, you know, most organizations have gone on this journey and they start to think about, right, okay, we want to be, you know, data driven in quotation marks. And that drives them towards building, you know, a team full of 20 data scientists buying all of this tech and, right, how do we get as much data as possible? And we'll go about then figuring out what we're going to do once we've got to that point. And it's kind of like, that's actually why we're in this situation because you know we're just we're going about this in the in the wrong direction right so it's really it's really hard and I'm really very boring anyone who's had a meeting with me to say look at the five b's as volume variety veracity velocity and value and just kick out volume and we we focus a lot on variety and I I see people energized me shut to go actually if you do blend these two different data sets around a different attribute let's not obsess about PII let's not obsess about personal data and actually that can unlock a lot of a lot of um, new ideas that that might navigate some of the data quality issues yeah no that makes that makes sense you've touched there upon variety and the blending of data a couple of times so it's obviously something that you're quite kind of big on just talk us through how that works in reality because as you said you know it's uh, for a lot of people that's difficult right it's a difficult concept to a get their head around and b to actually execute on yeah so i mean i think we we celebrate when people do it and we bring them into the community and i'll give you some examples so we we buy some data centrally we had one on uh google we partnered and getting some signals of what people are likely to search for in the next few weeks and one of our agencies blended it with weather data for a, a, an outdoor company and that you can actually then really do some some relevant targeting uh we had uh wonderman thompson in taipei i love this story uh you maybe don't know that taiwan is the the most rich company uh, country from donating blood so the proportion of well. residents who donate blood but not all blood is needed at any one time. And obviously there's some supply and demand issues there because you don't want to keep blood on stock that you don't need, but obviously you want the blood. So they've they partnered with um with a map company, with a parking lot company to do real and then with the blood uh hospitals to actually then match if you're in this parking lot or this area at this time, these are the blood groups we need. And I love that simplicity of building what's already there and to match supply and demand. But I have hundreds and hundreds of examples of where we've we've blended census data with vaccine readiness. Um, so yeah, our agencies are really are really clever and inspiring is what they do. Mm, yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. Obviously, you talked upon the two kind of key points there as you think, you know, the biggest challenges within the data analytics industry. How do you think the industry will evolve over the next 10 years? And uh, I guess, especially in combating those two areas that you talked about? And I think there's still some people who think data is a distraction. And, and maybe data doesn't yield the value it should. But I, I always say those people step away from the main conversation and go and get your data management and your data fundamentals sorted because then you have a solid platform and that don't obsess about ROI on that just get that just get that right and then I think I think data and IT and analytics people and marketeers and supply chain will all evolve to be really good buddies and they may not orientate 
just about the customer, but the data and what they know about the customer and what they understand about their customer. And I met someone from VML YNR recently, and they talked about their goal is to help brands like their customers. And I'd never heard that before. And I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, we all try and get to know them, but actually to like them and to build a rapport with them from a data perspective, I think could be really empowering. Mm, yeah. I mean, we've definitely seen a resurgence, if you want to call it that, around the whole data management piece, right? You know, a lot of businesses have gone and been attracted by the bright lights of some of the sexy stuff, you know, data science, machine learning and AI and tried to do projects at scale in that space. And, you know, when the the value might have not have been as the level that they were expecting, you know, trace their tails back to, oh, okay, you know, we're, we're kind of on quicksand here and that's that's probably why so yeah there's definitely been a refocus into data management and getting the kind of foundational aspects ready what about the ai piece um one of very few people that have it in your title die um where do you think that's going over the next kind of 10 years and what role is that going to play in our industry as a collective well we've been massively uh, proud to have satalia in our family and really i just I just lap up every word Daniel says um, talking <laughs> about uh, AI ethics. He's challenged us on um, the definition of that and AI safety and AI ethics. We we all embrace the the opportunity brought by optimization and actually um, how AI and automi- automation and optimization can really clear some people's roles and the pathway to to free up time for more strategic thinking, more creativity. So I'm really, I'm really keen to use AI to automate and optimize um, where we can. And then the role of AI in creativity and our training. I mentioned it earlier. We're using avatars to train people. We're having some fun with GPT-3. Uh, Daniel and I both have avatars. Uh, don't use them for anything sensible. We had Avatar <laughs> Die and Avatar Daniel singing Mariah Carey Christmas <laughs> tunes um, <laughs> and telling stupid uh, poems about snowballs. But we, we we so we have a lot of fun with AI. But the, there's an opportunity, cost saving and revenue generating for for everyone if we can optimize AI safely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, obviously, as you mentioned, I had Daniel on the podcast. Um, I think it was kind of midway through season one, and I'll be honest, I came off that call and I was just like, "What's just what's just happened?" I've, <laughs> I've no idea what, what we've been speaking about, but it was just, he blew my mind. To be honest it with just, you, um, it was brilliant. It was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I like um, Avatar Daniel because I can control what he says. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the the whole data and creative thing, and it's interesting that you touch upon there at how artificial intelligence is going to allow you to kind of automate and optimize to allow businesses to be more creative. But I guess in the world that you live in, that whole striking the balance is often quite difficult, right? You get into conversations around how marketeers are, you know, as with most business people, but, you know, operate on gut instinct and feel and that's what we've always done and that I think that'll work and now we're trying to you know create this new way of working which is well let's support our decisions by using data how, how do you get that that balance right between being a data-driven organization or whatever word we're using but still producing great creative because I've had plenty of people that live and work in this space that 
you know, have probably very rightly said, you know, you can put a, an average piece of creative in front of the right audience. It's going to do better than the best piece of creative in front of the wrong audience, right? Which makes complete sense to me. But how do you get that balance right in reality in a working environment? Love that question because data is always being part of creativity. I mean, there's a, there's a quote that I'm going to massacre from David Ogilvy, <laughs> but he talked about actually intuition comes from some insights. You know, we we may not be able to source it or know where we got that knowledge or that understanding, but great creativity is born out of an understanding or or an acceptance of something. So so firstly, I do bang the drum that people may not have been data scientists who are doing creative, but they've always they've always used data or or absorbed insights and intelligence in some way in order to be brilliant creatives. And and from WPP, because we're in creative transformation company I think people understand that data has a role to play and they embrace it so I had today I saw an email from one of our agencies talking about without data they never would have done brilliant campaigns or realized the in the razor market for example that more research went into some razor blades than the first iPhone or that men shave their legs how many times you know there's there's stuff that's there that actually will really shape creativity and people do recognize in WPP and I love that and and actually continually inspiring our agencies people show up to our webinars where we've got an agency talking about how they've used data creatively and we have a bit of a pathway because we have a navigator where people can identify data and then we have our catalog and a virtualization where they can explore it and read the metadata and then we create stories. And here's how you can do this because they blended this data. And then we talk about it in the community. And then we have data challenges within the community where we release a data set. So we've just launched one on this year, next year data. Uh, brilliant asset owned by Group M and run by Group M. And we've launched that within WPP and asked people to, to explore it and visualize it. So bringing literal creativity skills so we've got obviously the creative execution but actually using data creatively and storytelling it creatively I think is this is parts because dashboards let's face it are really dull and um, they don't <laughs> tend to drive change it's very much looking behind and we really want to have more engagement and storytelling and bring our creative skills to to more interesting, animated, motivating dashboards that tell you what's happened and what you need to do rather than uh, just bar charts, which obviously have a role in life, but don't always inspire <laughs> you to go and change the world. Yeah, no, it's really, I mean, really interesting point there around using data creatively rather than using data to be creative. Obviously, I know the end mm. goal is the same, right? But it's mm. a, a different train of, of thought, I guess, which is, um, which is quite thought-provoking and I think then obviously you started to touch upon how by using data creatively you can tell stories and get to the point of action and recommendation because I think that's the problem that we often have in this industry and I've had many people sit here and you know we've debated the back and forth around this but you know a visualization is still subjective to whoever's looking at it right doesn't necessarily mean they're going to take the right action just because they've got a visualization so that whole storytelling piece and then what should come after that is is really is really interesting and we've got a responsibility around that too because 
we, we've run a webinar on the ethics of data visualization. You can talk about death and make it red and you send the reader in one direction. But if you make it blue, um, because it's a downward trend, I mean, it's thinking about the colors, the language, the scale, the headline. So we, we do operate really good data practices and we do make sure we give people a forum to say, actually, how do I do this? Or how, you know, is this is this right? So we have um, the ethical use, but I, I, I think we're quite early in WPP to be talking about ethical data visualization as part of our, our code of conduct and ethics work, because I think um, seeing quite a lot of the reporting over the last two years has, has made me wince on, on what people want to say and then what people want to hear and it not always being the same. And I think we have a responsibility to make sure we, we try and be clear. Mm, yeah, no, it's, that's, uh, it's really intriguing. I guess in terms of, and we started to touch upon this earlier, right around the skills required to prepare people for what this future world in our industry is going to look like. But um, in terms of skills, what's what's your thoughts around that? What does the future look like in terms of how we best get people ready for what's to come? Well, I'd like, and I, I know schools are trying, but I, I'd like more, you know, people fine-tuning their maths and their stats and their uh, their confidence around that area because we don't we don't need everyone to be a data scientist but we do need engineers analysts I think we'll get more data artists and data journalists coming through people who explore new ways to tell stories um, I think some of the the work that's happened in video games I'm exploring on whether some of the immersive visualization that you get in a in a VR game, might there be a role for data there to help us uh, use that tech to understand consumers better, to literally be able to hmm. walk in somebody else's shoes? So I, I'm hoping to see more cross-category learning and not necessarily gamification, although obviously that's always something that works to, to engage people. But I'd love, I'd love us to be able to use some of the tech from the video game industry and, and you know, not just not just around the metaverse and the opportunities that brings, but from a from a data and insights. Let's let's go through around a supermarket and what is the experience if someone's got three kids in tow versus Te- back terrible. problems? Terrible, <laughs> terrible. You don't want to go anywhere that's, with three kids. That's why I stopped at two. <laughs> <laughs> I went stopped at one. Yeah. He still would go along the supermarket <laughs> shelf, shoving things in the basket willy nilly. Yeah. So, yeah, but actually, that enables us to evolve the experience for people and it evolves stores and our communication to show the understanding of of how people might be experiencing different things in different moments. So mm. I love that. Um, and if we've got clean data, then people will be able to just challenge. Uh, and then I'd like to see more data cooperation and collaboration between companies. I think uh, we've, we've, we're exploring, and I think it will depend by market going forward, but the role of data interoperability and who's willing to share and the tensions between how much data ownership gives you a competitive advantage versus finding relevant partners to collaborate with, giving you both competitive advantage. So we're watching, we're watching this and the role the regulators will play and the role different countries and the governments will play in this. But I, I think 
there will be a lot of movement in this space on who's who's working together. That's really interesting, isn't it? Especially as, you know, we're told constantly that data is an asset. Data can be a commercial asset if it's used properly and what the advantages are of that, of, you know, getting beyond your competitors, as it were. Um, I think something you touched upon there, Di, a moment ago is in terms of getting into schools earlier to kind of give them this roadmap if you will towards you know not everyone needs to be a data scientist and and i'm involved in several university programs which you know in my opinion it's probably too late now to be honest with you you know but what what baffles me about that is that um this particular program that i'm involved with they have the fundamentals they do kind of quantitative analysis right so they've got um skills with certain technologies and tools they analyze data as part of their curriculum um but yet i go and stand in front of a, a lecture hall with 80 people in who are all really diverse really diverse group of people and none of them know that there's an industry like ours that exists where they could go and put them skills into the real world working for a brands that they know and trust and buy from and and you know whatever the case may be um which just blows my mind when we've got you know every business is looking for talent of a certain level and they can't mm-hmm. find it and it's just like well we need to be doing more at the bottom end so by the time you know they're already in university coming towards their third and final year that's probably too late we should have been mm-hmm. fine-tuning this from a much earlier age and at least let them know that this thing exists which is really interesting i don't know if you've got any thoughts around that in particular i mean i'd love every kid to say when I grow up I want to work for WPP because there's so many opportunities here for for every um different type of passion and skill but if I if I put my data nerdy head on we are you know we're really looking as part of our creating better futures for our communities we we are looking at how we can impact this because you're right get to a point where people don't know what's available and actually we've done um massive work last year we started to get apprenticeships in and and even existing employees going through apprenticeship skills so they can reskill which i love we partnered with a brilliant charity it's it's very specific regionally of disadvantaged kids in lambeth and we sponsored 20 of them to go through a two week pattern your future program and part of that they got to do two days in the life of wpp And there were many things that I loved about that. I loved how many of our agencies immediately went, I want to be part of that. Thank you very much. And I also love watching these teams' minds being blown that they they could fit here. And I loved it because I, when we were starting to talk and they were like, well, you know, you you might not be relatable. And I said, I have to be relatable. Otherwise, I'm failing as a human being like I want I want these teens to to learn from me as much as I can learn from them and initially they came in and they were like, free biscuits this place is amazing <laughs> and of course that's exactly as they should be but by the end as they met all the brilliant people here and learned about the work we do they've had work experience they've kept in touch with loads of us that uh, accepted our invitation to mentor and support them and that's made me really, uh, really happy. And everybody's loved being part of it. So we will be doing more, but we we need to scale that. Um, but that was something that was the highlight of a lot of our uh, programs last year when we really got to 
um, open the door for people who didn't know the door was there. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's amazing. Uh, I guess you, you touched upon that. Obviously, we've, we've been speaking about the, you know getting people into the industry and then maybe upskilling or reskilling. I know you used the term earlier, and you've mentioned this when we've spoken before, but around deep skilling. Why, why do you think that's the the kind of way forward? My dad always tells me to get out of my box and to keep my skills really broad. And I'm now at a point where I'm arguing with him. Now I'm in my box. I love my box. I've got a discipline that I'm proud of that I want to now fine tune. And I will never be done from a data and AI perspective. That's just all I keep learning is how much I need to learn. And I think we should celebrate our data practitioners. I think we should celebrate people who have a really uh, brilliant skill, discipline, experience. I think uh, from a from an office culture, there's always a pressure, You oh, let's move up and you've got to be a team lead now. And I think from data and analytics, I've seen it so many times over the years, you, you promote someone who is a brilliant, brilliant scientist and you get them to be a team lead. And then before they know it, that's not, that's not what they want to do. They want to be uh, recognised and brilliant in their art. And I think we're doing loads internally on how people can still progress from a career perspective. So let's keep deep skilling. Let's build in learning and the flow of work. So what people want to learn, how do you make sure that it's relevant and part of their working day? And I think that's the the biggest leap that pretty much every company needs to do is that it training's over here and the work's over here. And I read a lot and work with a lot of external people who are doing this really well of learning and the flow of work and making sure that those deep skills are nurtured and refreshed and we invest in them. We invest in the tech and the tools and give people uh, some space to learn and think. Mm. What's been the journey for for you and WPP Dai in terms of coming to the realisation and actually executing on the fact that, you know, a diverse breadth of skills whether it's deep or not, but within certain disciplines across the organization, um, makes you a better data organization. Because obviously what typically happens is most organizations, as I mentioned before, they go on this journey and then they go and hire hard technical skills, right? And all, and that's why we started to the data translator, the data storyteller, all of that stuff that seemingly for whatever reason has been missing yet still not many organizations out there trying to bring those you know you talked there about the the data artist or the data journalist right it seems like for whatever reason an absolute kudos to you but thinking on a completely different wavelength to most businesses who are kind of saying oh you know we need snowflake let's go and build a data warehouse you know (laughs) not to not to kind of slag anyone off but that's typically for you know most organizations is how they think but obviously you've been on a journey that's brought you to a place of a completely different place of thinking yeah I mean it's I think we probably do both um but I always say to all our clients you don't have all the data that you need but you don't use all the data you have and if we go for an optimization first and I think what have we got what have we got to work with actually we've got brilliant talent of people who've chosen to work for WPP and let's and they know WPP and they know the clients. They've got a brilliant relationship. Let's let's work with them on how they can have a brilliant future here. Let's work with them to um, to learn and challenge themselves and create an environment where they can be vulnerable and go. Clients mentioned AI and I didn't really know what to say. Let's create that environment so that people can, for two minutes, some of our 
AI videos are two minutes long to nine months, our Oxford diploma, which we're putting some of our senior leaders through. Let's create some time and some space for everybody and whether they prefer in-classroom, collaborative learning, self-taught, or whether you want to do something like the data challenge that I've mentioned, or show up at our community. I will never, in the community webinars or the Sea Dogs, pick on anyone. There's no... There's no entry criteria. I want an inclusive that anybody and and sometimes people go, oh, that was a bit over my head. Or some people go, that was a bit 101. And we just have to I just want to keep making sure that we have a dialogue about it so that everybody, everybody has a a level and we don't leave anyone behind. And I did some inclusivity training at WPP recently and they talked about culture ads, not culture fit. And that's really stayed with me because I've not read that anywhere else before that or since. And I think that's where we want to celebrate uh, differences. Yeah, absolutely. I was just, as you were talking then, I was thinking, you know, this is a, this is a kind of a cultural environment that's being created where this stuff is celebrated, which Mm -hmm. is honestly is really, really unusual. You know, even if you think about, you know, you're talking there about <laughs> avatars and virtual reality, right? You know, the reality is, is that most businesses don't even know where to find their data, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But but uh, WPP, it seems that you're quite, you know, quite advanced in that and you're thinking differently about skills and people and the types of value add that they can bring by, you know, not being a pure, you know, techie or a programmer or whatever the case may be. And then the thing that fascinates me, is the literacy piece, right? Because that's been the, you know, the rise of the data academy. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but you know, that started out several years back as a way for businesses to typically bring in more junior talent and put them through some kind of training and development scheme. But now what that's kind of transformed into is actually it's for executives, it's for business users, it's for everyone to become more data literate, data savvy, more comfortable with the jargon, more comfortable just being and talking which is some of the stuff that you've obviously touched upon there especially around the AI piece which obviously is quite overwhelming for a lot of people how have you gone about doing that kind of what's the actual physical you know I guess setup of of that kind of literacy piece so we work very closely with our learning and development leads within the agency so all, all of the model here is that we work with the agency so that they can work with their people so that it's not us we don't try and control things so uh, if I if I were doing a presentation I'd show you a triangle right now on how we've tailored so at the top of the triangle we've got our Oxford AI diploma we're putting 30 um, senior leaders through this program that we've uh, created with Oxford that we're immensely proud of they've just done their second module and they're loving it and it's AI for business Then the next level, we've partnered with Microsoft and we have an AI business school, which is a two to three hour workshop where we start by saying to people, how comfortable do you feel talking about AI? And people come in with a one or a two out of five. And by the end, they're three or four. And we break it down on the different components of AI and do some of the jargon busting and then tell stories. This is this is, you know, Microsoft have built an app that can read for blind people that you know there's some brilliant stories of Hmm. uh, AI really changing lives and and then we have the role of AI in brands and storytelling and and our our training so we've got that and then we have um, our AI academy where we've partnered with Coursera for this deep skilling 
our data practitioners. So we work with the L&D leads and the agencies and we invite our data practitioners and some of them work together on finishing courses. We encourage them to celebrate when they've they've finished their course and got their uh, certificate. We very much reward the behaviour you seek. So we don't name and shame people who haven't finished their certificate. We totally appreciate that time is precious and hard to find, but we celebrate those who well done, you've done your certificate, well done, you're the agency, you've got the most people through. And then at, at the bottom of the triangle is our demystify AI for 50,000, where again, we'll just, we'll just keep surfacing, hey, have you seen this video? People coming new into your agency, feel free to get them to join the data and AI community. They can look at our AI content. They can talk to us. We'll give them access to our data catalog. We're, we're testing different BI tools. They're welcome to come in. And it's not no entry criteria for that. That's just loads of really good stuff for everybody. Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. And I think it's, it's obviously no wonder why culturally you've gotten to the place that, that, that you've got to with that. Um, Conscious of time, die. So I guess as we kind of look to wrap this up, then the opportunity of the metaverse. I know you spoke about that kind of earlier. What 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 opportunity does that bring, in your opinion? I think marketers should be excited about the metaverse. I mean, it's a it's a really good way to engage new audiences, try new products. I mean, if you're if you're an organisation that actually has a lot of MPD ideas, but the reality of bringing them to market is challenging. The metaverse offers an amazing opportunity to try out new looks, new products, new brands, new ways to engage new audiences, and to really add some authenticity. You can get some real uh, loyalty from people by showing the authenticity and bringing the experiences to a whole new dimension. So I think um, the opportunity is there. We're doing a lot of work to make sure that we we do help clients navigate the word metaverse versus the reality of where their business can optimize and take it. So um, that's probably a whole different podcast that I should introduce <laughs> you to some of the brilliant people talking about this. But I love the way we're approaching it because it's yes, it's yes, it's here. Yes, there's opportunity. But let's unpack that opportunity from a brand perspective and to make sure that um brands can optimize the opportunity in a very authentic but yep. commercial way yeah i'll put you on the spot a little bit here but let's fast forward 10 years right it's 2032 what's going on in the world of data at that point <sighs> loads of um synthetic data i think i think we will we will look back at this time when we used to use the word tracking and surveillance <laughs> like it wasn't horribly creepy um i think we'll be much more aware and have much more guardrails and maturity around the biases and not just the biases in data but the biases in humans and i think we're at a point at the moment where we don't necessarily all like seeing the biases in the data because it reminds us of our biases so i think there'll be an emotional humanization journey for people and everyone, myself included, over the next 10 years. And I think data will start to reflect that. And then I think we'll we'll see some brands really do well on building that trusted relationship with their consumers and where consumers want to give the data. I want you to understand me better. I want you, I want you to be a trusted 
partner of mine as a brand um and i will i appreciate the reciprocity of that and the value exchange so i think there'll be a, a journey there i'm i'm watching with interest whether there's any externality taxes that may be occurring from people with data storage and ownership there has been conversations about that and as clients go through a first party data enrichment strategy i do ask them to consider if you were to have to pay tax on collecting and storing this data, what would be worth it? And it's a good exercise on value and what's worth what's worth it. So I think there will be some interesting um, movement on people considering data as part of their sustainability strategy. If you've got net zero goals, people currently don't have a currency for data collection, storage, storage access and use on the impact on the environment. But I think that will be coming. And then I think the the skills that we've talked about on people being able to extract value and insights and creativity out of data will will really evolve. Mm. Yeah, the, the the piece around the taxes and what data is worth having is a real interesting thing to think about, right? Because uh, I think I think that'll be a positive thing for, for many reasons, but also in a sense of it'll force organizations to think about this more strategically rather than, well, let's just go and get data and see what we can find, um, which will be certainly a good thing for the industry. So, well, Di, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Loved, uh, loved every second. How can people reach out to you if they're interested in kind of picking your brains on anything that they've heard today or, you know, want to chat through anything with you? You can find me on LinkedIn or email ai at wpp.com. And I always love hearing from people. So Excellent. Well, Di, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, excellent episode. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing how the next 10 years unfolds with, uh, with yourself. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Bow 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 bow